All right, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Here's what it says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have once, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, there's so much in that passage, but, um, well, let, let's just dig into it. You know, we've been talking about this idea of but God. And so Paul, who's been writing to the Gentiles, to us, remember, we're Gentiles. I don't think any of you on this call are, are Jewish uh, by... Uh, by nature, by birth, by ethnicity, uh, that could say that I'm a part of the Jewish clan. And remember, it was very important for the Jews. They would keep track of their genealogy, and they, they knew who they were and what tribe they were from, and it was very important for them. Uh, that's why Paul, at one point, kind of brags about, I am a Jew of all Jews, circumcised on the eighth day, da, 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 all the way from the tribe of Benjamin, and I, that was so important to them. So he's writing, though, to the Gentiles, and it really comes to this key, this key of unity. He's talking and trying to lay the groundwork for unity, because this is a church that is split. This is, an this is a group that is seeing themselves around race, around rank, and around role, that they are stuck in these three things, and they are segregating people because of it. And so he's calling them to this oneness, the oneness of the body of Christ, in spite of these man-made barriers of race and culture that separates then and even still today. You know, the national identity was, uh, was enraged because of the bloodlines. The Jews were very stuck on it. In fact, when I read this, I, I think so often of kind of like the older brother in the um, in, in the parable of the uh, uh, of the lost son. And when you see the 
prodigal son and he comes back and at the end of it the the older brother who stayed wouldn't have anything to do with him because he was a lesser class citizen right the son who had gone away and squandered everything he considered lesser class good morning penny you know when i was putting this together a couple days ago actually i didn't know what would happen in our society we are still a culture that is separated by race. We are still a culture where an innocent individual in Minnesota who individuals just thought that he looked like somebody who had written bad checks, bad checks, most states, depending on the dollar amount, that's still a misdemeanor. It's not even a felony, called the police. And we see a video that emerges of an officer using basically a knee chokehold is what that was. And this gentleman's on the ground, not fighting, not thrashing, just saying, I can't breathe. Please help. Please. I can't breathe. And even after he goes unconscious, the officer still kneeled on his neck for minutes, killing him. We live in a society that is still separated by race, just like what Paul was speaking to. And Paul's going, the church needs to be different. Church needs to be different. In fact, there's more information coming out about this guy. This guy actually, he was a believer. He is someone who... Um, one gentleman said, gave credibility to those of us who weren't from that neighborhood to be able to come in and to witness. And his life is snuffed out. And all the officers were fired because it was very evident that it was the wrong use of force. We live in a culture that is still separated by ethnicity, still separated at the core. And that's what Paul is preaching against at this point. Now, Paul is sharing that the abolishing of the law, that's the next part that he kind of goes into. And I, I didn't want to go all, I, it just, the way the news happened, I had to kind of make that comment about, about races. You know, it's sad to say that even the you know, the, the joke is, and it's not a funny joke, that the most segregated hour is the Sunday morning. You know, even in our background, if you if you study the history of the United of the Methodist Church, the Methodist movement, the Episcopal movement that came out of John Wesley, we were forerunners in, in the Underground Railroad. We were ones that set up stations. Our churches were hiding places. And often here in Jefferson and Ashtabula, we were, we were centers of it. But as soon as the Civil War was over and slaves were made free, we didn't let them into our churches. And therefore, just ordained some and set up the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Because even though we thought they ought to be free, we still, well, they were different than us. And we couldn't have them worshiping with us. Church, we got to repent. 
It may not be you. You may not have grown up in a racist family at all. A, a family that you might have grown up in a family that accepted all. Like I, I grew up in a family we accepted everybody. But yet still, as a church, the body of Christ, we need to repent. We need to call all believers to love. Love God, love others, right? All right, back to the passage, sorry. Just felt like that had to be said. And so Paul is sharing about the abolishing now. So in, in, in Galatians and elsewhere, he kind of talks about the fulfilling of the law, that the law was fulfilled in Christ. He takes it the next step here in this passage we just read, saying that it's abolished. The law, the Old Testament law and ordinance, ordinances are now abolished because that's what the Jews were holding over the Gentiles and saying, well, you don't follow all the laws. You, you aren't circumcised. You don't follow all the days and feasts and festivals. And he goes, no, no, no. That's abolished. Just be done with it. It's abolished. And it's abolished because of Christ and what Christ did to come in, that justification, that atonement, that adoption, all those things we've talked about in, over the last couple months of this. He abolished the law of the Torah because the Torah was special, right? I mean, the Torah was, it didn't matter what you said, the Torah and the interpretation of the Torah, because remember what a rabbi said was like, I, they could change the Torah and you would believe it because the rabbis were so high. It's kind of like a Pope. The Pope could change scripture. And in fact, there have been times in history where some have because like the Crusades and, and wrongfully so. They, they changed it for their agendas and it was changed later by other popes, you know, uh, um, just because. That, that's for the day and age. They said, you know what? I think this. And then later on, another one would say, hey, you know what? We got to abolish what that one said because, um, well, they were they were just trying to raise money. You know, I, and, and that's happened in all churches and all denominations. I mean, you know, if you've been on here um I, I'm just as uh, hard sometimes on the Protestant churches as we are with the Catholics because we come from the Catholics. That's our background. That's who we are. That's our history. We come out of the Orthodox Church, and uh, we, we can't deny that. Our history, our faith is grounded in the Orthodoxy, um, the Orthopraxy and, and all of that. Um, there are great believers that are in in all denominations, and there are Great heathens and all of them too, right? You know, it, it's not about a denomination at all. That's what Paul is getting at with the unity. It's it's abolishing that law and trying to make way for the unity that comes in the body of Christ. The church as the body of Christ, not a building, not four walls, but the body of Christ. Talks about what divides us and it's really these things of, practice of politics and, and, and preferences. Now, those are the things that divide us as the body of Christ as we allow practice denominations, right? Politics and preference to get in the way of worshiping God. We get so caught up in our preference, our practice, and our politics that we forget the key dogmas that we can find unity in that allow us as different denominations to stand side by side 
you know, we have other denominations here in, in this village and, and I meet with them every, well, we did every month as pastors and we would come together and we would pray together and we would, we would encourage each other. And they may be on different ends of the spectrum denominationally, and yet we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we can lift each other up and we have great respect for one another. Just because they have a doctrine or a practice that is different than the way we practice in our church does not make them any different. Good morning, Carrie. That's what divides us, those practices. You know, and Paul then kind of turns to this idea and he mentions the dividing line. He mentions this, uh, um, the dividing wall of hostility. And there's a lot of conversation about what that could mean. One of the ways is in 70, so after this was written, the temple fell. But in the temple, there was a dividing line. And so Paul could have been alluding to the dividing line in the temple. If you were to walk into the temple, hey, Joe, good morning. If you were to walk into the Old Testament or in the New Testament temple, Solomon's temple that was there um, in, in the temple, the there was a dividing wall. And this dividing wall allowed for the Jews to go into the outer court, but then they had the court of the Gentiles. And a Gentile could actually, it was one of the, it was like the only thing that Jews had the right to execute somebody for by Roman law. They were not allowed to execute anything. That's why Jesus had to be taken before Pilate and Pilate's the one who had to say, you can be, you know, he'll be executed. The Jews couldn't. The only thing they could execute for was if a Gentile poked their head around the dividing wall into the inner, you know, the outer court of the Jews because they were unclean. They were not allowed in there. And I, I, that's what most scholars say. That's what Paul was talking about. He's talking to the Gentiles and the Jews and saying, you know, that dividing wall is done. He, he, you know, some say, well, maybe this was written much later after the wall. And that's, that's not the point here. Paul was just alluding to that as an illustration of this is the wall that we use to divide us. And it's done. It's over with. Gentiles cannot be killed because they are now a part of the body of Christ. It's now the body of Christ, not the Jewish temple. Good morning, mom and dad. And so he was talking about this temple. He was talking about the dividing wall, these, these things that keep us from being unified. He was talking about it back to the Jews. And so, you know, Jews put a lot of weight. We've talked about that. A lot of weight on the outward signs circumcision. You know, that was huge for the Jews and Gentiles were uncircumcised. In fact, you could go all the way back to, uh, um, it, you know, it was considered a negative sign to be uncircumcised and not a God, part of God's fellowship and God's plan as you had to be. It was a sign of the covenant of Abraham in the Jewish mindset. And so they wanted all Gentiles to accept circumcision and have this outward sign. And Paul talks so often about, it's about the heart. You know, God was giving them an outward sign to begin with to test their obedience. And now it's come to a point where it's all about the heart and what the Holy Spirit does in us. And so circumcision, it, it means nothing. It's just an outward sign. It's kind of like, it doesn't matter what part, what denomination you are in, we have some sort of polity or practice or orthodoxy of what we do. Um, and if we lose the meaning behind it, then it's nothing. It, it, it is, it's nothing but circumcision. It's nothing but an outward sign. We could take communion and it could be nothing but just outward if we've lost the meaning of it. 
you know, I often use little illustrations of history. It's kind of like the, you know, in, in the Old Testament. So the priests were to cleanse themselves with water before going into the Holy of Holies. Where do you think Orthodox churches that began with the idea of having a water basin at the back of the church? The reason it was at the back was so that you would cleanse yourself. It wasn't a washing, but it was a symbol of reminding yourself that you are walking into the Holy of Holies. But if you forget, if you if you just becomes ritual, then it's nothing but an outward sign of nothing. Because we forgot the meaning. Same thing with anything we do. Closing our eyes to pray. I mean, you, you name it, right? Communion. It becomes nothing but an outward motion if there's no inward heart behind it. And so circumcision was just that. It was just a it was just now just a sign. It didn't matter. And Paul's saying, forget that. And you know, because it was a negative thing. Go back to David. What does David call Goliath? you uncircumcised Philistine, right? I mean, it was a, it was a nasty term. And the Jews are telling that of these Gentiles who are believers who've accepted Christ, the sign of the Holy Spirit's been on them, and they're going, oh, no, 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 you can't be in our group because, right? Kind of like a church that says you can't come in unless you have a suit and a tie or, you know, dress a certain way or act a certain way. And, oh, man, I mean, if you if you have, um, you know, tattoos and earrings or anything like that, you just, you just are not allowed here. And if you do come in, we might look at you and stare at you and huff and puff. Like you just came in with, you know, a major virus or coughing all over everybody. Right. Um, but that's sometimes those, those things that we judge. The Jews saw Gentiles as first lacking any hope in a Messiah. They had no hope. Gentiles had absolutely no hope. The Messiah was for the Jews. That intertestamental writing period, so it's not in scripture, it's the 400 years before. Some of the books made it in kind of the apocrypha. Um, some of them are writings. A lot of a lot of pastors will use them. Um, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just at one point in the canon, they, they said, you know what, maybe should they, should they not? I mean, do they add they have add historical value, but do they add theological value? Um, there's a lot of discussion around that. But, um, you know, the, the intertestamental period, there's one called the Psalm of Solomon. And the Psalm of Solomon was written about 50 B.C., uh, but, you know, before Christ. And, and it talked about the coming Messiah meant the destruction of the Gentiles. That was the way the Jewish culture saw it. So now... Here's a God, Christ, who came in flesh, who didn't come as they expected as a warring hero. But not only that, he's saying, hey, Gentiles have received the sign of the Holy Spirit and can be a part of the body of Christ. And they're going, wait, I thought all the Messiah would get rid of all the Gentiles and we would just be one big Jewish nation. Um, they missed it. And so that's the irony. The Jews missed the signs, and now the Gentiles are flocking to God. The Jewish culture as a whole missed the signs of the Messiah, and they crucified him, fulfilling Scripture. And now the Gentiles are flocking to him. The second thing, the Jews saw Gentiles as that, that Gentiles suffer a deprivation and that they have no rights to citizenship in the holy nation. They are aliens. 
they don't belong in here. And that's why Paul so often used that term of we are all strangers and aliens here. Because remember, Jesus came to create a not yet kingdom, a holy glorification kingdom. The irony and the division and the national pride causes people to miss God. The irony of the Jews was they missed God because of their divisiveness and their national pride. And dare I say again, there but by the grace of God go we. We're a divided nation right now. We're divided churches. Be careful. And the third thing, the Jews saw the Gentiles as lacking access to God. They were not pure. They were not holy. Remember the parable that Jesus shared of the Pharisee and the tax collector and the Pharisees before God going, at least I'm not like him. And the tax collector wouldn't even go near the altar and was just crying out to God, I am unclean. Woe is me. Lord, help me. Right? That's all God wants is us to admit that we don't have it together, to walk in our woundedness. The irony of all of that is that the redeemed and restored relationship to God through the Holy Spirit and Jesus comes. And so the Jew and the Gentile, both through the Holy Spirit, have this now and not yet of a redeemed and restored relationship with God, which is what he wanted, what he wants from us. So all those things the Jews were holding against the Gentiles, but God. But God shows up and shows off and brings it. And in the center of it all, we read verse 14. And I love this verse because in the center of it all, like but God and in the first little section, but the center of this is for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Christ is is the center, but God is the center of it all. He is our peace who has made us both one. He has made us one regardless of race, regardless, regardless of background, regardless of rank or role, regardless of upbringing, regardless of nationality, whatever line is dividing us, male or female, he has made us one. He has, he has made us one. The fighting of the Jew and the Gentile reminds me so often of the fighting and divisiveness in our culture of Republican and Democrat. Calvinist and Arminian in the church. Black, white, Latino, Asian, whatever it is, we are drawn to conflict. And God says, you are united and are to be different in the world, but not of the world. The things of this world should not distract us. Those fightings have now been overcome and pacified. The divided groups are called to a harmonious amity with each other within the fellowship of the body as Christ, the body of Christ and the body as church. In losing their ethnic and racial claims, they gained something for better. The Jews lost their claim to be the holy nation, the only nation. And the Gentiles lost their claim as being heathens, right? They now come together 
in one, forming what Paul talks so often of a new race. We are no longer slave and free. We are no longer male and female. We are no longer defined by the divisions of this world. We are a new race in Christ, the one true race under the one true God. That is our destiny as believers. And when we see ourselves united in one race, one heavenly race, we no longer see the divisions that hold us back in this world. Later believers and later early church fathers in the third century especially began to kind of catch a hold of this in Paul's writings, and they called it the third race. No longer Jew or Gentile, because Gentiles summed up all other races. No longer Jew and Gentile, but now Christians. And as Christ followers, we are a new race. We are a third race, a heavenly race, not defined by skin color, but by blood. And not our blood. You know, you always hear that, well, we all bleed red. No, 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 not by our blood, but we are defined by the blood of Jesus Christ poured out and atoned for us. That's the world we live in. And yet we fall to divisions. And last night in our Bible study, a verse was mentioned that I know I've read countless times, but it hit during this time. It's Isaiah 8.12, and Isaiah 8.12 says this, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. I don't know about you, but we live in a day and age that calls a lot conspiracy. You could be on one end of the spectrum right now to the other end of the spectrum, and we all have, each end has conspiracy theories. I could just name them all. I mean, there's so many. You know, Bill Gates, it's a computer chip. Mm -hmm. or it's all money, or um, the U.S. says China did it, China says U.S. did it. Conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy. And if we're not careful, we allow ourselves to be pulled into it, which creates arguments. Even this morning, I was, I was saddened. Um, have an individual that I, I know, I don't know them well, but they have African-American adopted children. And they were just kind of pouring out their heart a little bit about the sadness of the video that came out watching this man and watching him die. And it was all due to misfounded accusations And they were pouring out their heart for their children. And an individual from a church, a believer, started quoting Bible verses at them. That they were wrong. That this person wasn't doing the law and blah, blah, blah. And it was all misfounded because 
This wasn't the person passing bad checks, a misdemeanor, maybe a small level felony. It wasn't them. We so quickly fall to inbiting, divisions, stuck on our name, whether we're the first church or the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Catholic church or the Lutheran church, or you throw yourself in there, right? We're the church of God. We're the body of Christ. And if coming back to a four-wall building causes divisions and us versus them to come back, and I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but I got a letter in the mail yesterday as well, before I'd even seen the video, from a Christian organization wanting money. And right on the front, it said, this Christian organization that I, I have a lot of respect for, and it goes, the leftists are at it again. Our words have meaning. When, when we cry out us versus them, when we demean another class instead of saying, Woe is me. Thank you, God, that you found me, you saved me, that I'm a part of this new race, this heavenly race. But, oh, God, from the bottom of my heart, I cry out, let me be a voice that goes out crying in the world around me, saying, woe is me. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be drawn into these conspiracies. Don't let anything in my words cause division. But let me cry out, bringing them to a Savior. Because that's the only thing that matters. Not who started the virus. If it's a computer chip, if it's a sign of the end of the world, I don't care. All I care is that people come to see a loving God. Race doesn't matter. Denomination doesn't matter. Rank doesn't matter. Only that which is done for Christ matters. Micah 6.8. I'm going to pull it up. I don't want to misquote in my emotions. When you see Micah 6, 8. says, He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Not outward signs, not... Not all, we don't work to earn our salvation, but in the grace and love and understanding of God says he requires of us to do justice, to love mercy, love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly. To walk humbly with our God. We seek justice. In a world where our politics are broken, 
there is a higher number of African-American gentlemen, young men and women in our prison systems than there are any other race. I've spent time watching judges and watching hearings and seeing how the same individuals, one with a background, can get a lesser sentence than one without a background. And you could say it was because of the color of their skin. That seemed to be the only reason why. Why one got a second, well, a third, a fourth, and a fifth chance. And another one didn't and got sent to jail. No bail, no bond, all of that. We live in a system that's broken. It's not the individuals. I know wonderful judges, lawyers. I know wonderful teachers. I, I know wonderful officers. We have great officers in this village. We have great officers where we used to live that we knew personally. But the system where we judge an individual, not on their heart, but on preconceived ideals. And does the church seek justice? Do we stand up for the poor? Do we stand up for the powerless, the orphan, the widow? That, that was, those were all terms used for the powerless. Do we show kindness or are we adding to the most segmented hour of the week on Sundays? Do we show kindness or do we look down on people and stare at them when we don't know them and they come into our church building because we just think we ought to know everybody. And do we humbly walk with God, going there, but by the grace of God go I. I will not give voice to conspiracies. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, O God. May that be the cry of our heart as believers every single day. God, I love you. Convict us, O oh Lord. Convict us of the divisions that lie in our denominations, the divisions that lie in your church. God, de denominations are okay. We all worship differently. Some love, I love worshiping in an Orthodox church under the liturgy. I love knowing why the Old Testament is read from a pulpit on one side and the New Testament is read on a pulpit on the other side because the division in the middle represents Christ where the communion table is at. I love the beauty of the liturgy, O oh Lord. And for some, you are, we are drawn to you in the liturgy. For some, we are drawn in the modern worship. For some, we are drawn through the preaching, through our intellect. God, denominations can have place when we are meeting people where they are, right where they're at. But when denominations become divisions, that we spend more time backbiting, 
fighting each other. Oh, God, grant to us humility. Convict us. Because a dying, hopeless world sees that. Break our hearts, oh God. Lord, when we see injustice, may we speak up. When we see a lack of love and mercy and kindness in our in, in those around us, may we speak up. Give us wisdom, courage, and compassion to discern when we're just speaking into the wind and when our actions mean more than our voice and knowing when our voice needs to be heard. God, we love you. We praise you. Work in our hearts. Start with us. Start with me. Change us and use us, oh God, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask these things. Amen. 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 Go in peace. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy some sunshine. And uh, we'll see you again soon.